Morning, church. Uh, my name is Stephen. Uh, the Bible says, uh, pray for your enemies, love those who hate you. So now I'm the biggest UMBC fan there is. Uh, yeah, I want them to win the national championship. I, I am all in for UMBC. That was, that was tough, but amen. Uh, you know, you can kind of gauge, uh, yeah, like Drew said, uh, how, how much of an idol something like that is by by how much uh, that, an occurrence like that can devastate you. So let's, you know, if, if that was especially hard for you, uh, let's take this moment to uh, refocus on Jesus, refocus on the victory of Christ. Uh, amen. And go ahead and turn over to Philippians 2. Right. Amen. Title of my lesson today is Hearts That Shine Like Stars. So we've been going through Philippians as a church the past few weeks, uh, and, and this first section of the letter is coming to a close. It's coming to a climax. Uh, we'll just kind of briefly kind of talk about uh, an overview of this first part of the letter. You know, Paul starts by expressing his affection for the church on uh, Philippi, and he really just sets the tone for the letter, and it really gives away everything else he's going to talk about just in this first chapter here in verse 9. He starts... By saying, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen. And so already, uh, Paul, Paul just setting the tone here. For the rest of the letter. And we're going to talk about the ending here. But what Paul is trying to do here is equip the church in Philippi to be pure and blameless until Christ comes back. You know, wants them to have the tools to make it in the end. Uh, to be faithful until that day when Christ arrives. And he, then he kind of ups the stakes. He's like, oh yeah, I'm in prison. All right. Uh, and then he, he ups the stakes even more. He says, actually, I might even die. And in verse uh, 20 of uh, chapter 1, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. And so the stakes kind of get heightened a little bit here. And he says like, hey guys, this is a real possibility. I might die. I don't expect this to happen necessarily, but this is a, this is a real thing. Like, and he says, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He even says like, I desire to depart and be with Christ. And I think, you know, someone who's who's reading this at the time might just go like, whoa, man, like, are, are, are you okay? Like, how is everything? You know, he's like talking about, talking about death in this kind of fanciful way. You, 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 you kind of go, hey, man, like we should talk or something like that. But amen, Paul doesn't, doesn't expect to die. But suddenly with this context, the letter takes on a different kind of tone. Because suddenly in this context, you know, this prayer that they'll be blameless and pure until the day of Christ, it feels a little more real. Because Paul is actually contemplating what that day might look like and it coming very soon as a real possibility. 
And so when Paul says, like, hey, I want you guys to be blameless and pure until that day, he's saying, I might not actually be here any longer. So here's what you need to do. I might not make it. And just in case, here's what you need. And so everything Paul says here carries just a little bit more weight. You know, and he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand firm in one spirit. Uh, He talks about having uh, a love and unity and humility in the body of Christ. And he, he goes on this beautiful hymn talking about your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus and talks about the the humility of Christ to be obedient even unto death and this amazing love that he has for us. And then he finishes out here in verse 12. Therefore, therefore, because of Christ's humility, because I want you guys to be able to make it in the end, therefore, chapter 2, verse 12, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Then he finishes, do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And so here's Paul's conclusion. He's wrapping it all up here. And, you know, this is the key. Uh, and he even, he even kind of restates the goal of the letter. He says, I'm saying this so that you can be blameless and pure. Exactly what he opened up with. He's like, this is what you do. And I think he, he throws in here, rather he, he kind of camps on something that's actually a little bit surprising, I think. Based on the rest of the letter, I think he says something that's kind of weird. And he's, he's writing this almost final testament. He's coming to the end of this section, the climax here. And he's like, here's what it means to become blameless and pure until Christ comes and he says, do everything without complaining and arguing. And I think it's a little confusing for me because I think we, we've just talked about like unity and humility and the love of Christ. Uh, it, this seems like a bit of a detour, yeah. right? Uh, and I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, growing up with, with parents who were Christians, this was a passage that was kind of used a lot when I was little. Uh, and every time I would kind of act up, or especially like when we were on road trips and stuff, and it was getting to like lunchtime, and we would drive every summer out to Minnesota. That's a long time to be in the car. There was a lot of complaining and a lot of references back to this scripture. Uh, and I think like nowadays, I kind of just glance over this because of that. It's because like, ah, like I've got that. You know, I've kind of like learned to shut up about, uh, you know, the things that, that I complain about. I don't, I don't just, like, tell everybody when I'm hungry. Uh, when I'm getting rides with people, I don't just say, like, hey, man, like, when are we going to stop? Can we pull over? I'm tired. I'm hungry. My legs hurt. I've gotten pretty good at, at, at shutting up about that sort of thing, <laughs> even if it's true. And, I, and so I think, like, it's weird that Paul doesn't just, like, kind of say this as, like, a good thing, but he, he uses this to, as the basis for everything else that's going to come. And he says, do everything without grumbling, complaining, arguing, whatever your translation says, so that 
you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Everything else in that sentence is predicated on do everything without complaining or arguing. Do this so that you can make it in the end, so that the purpose of me writing this letter can be fulfilled. And it it seems like this kind of weird, like, juvenile, like, literally a juvenile concern. Uh, You know, like, why why not do everything without, like, killing people or without, like, sexual morality or even, like, based on the rest of what this letter says, why not do everything just in love and unity? Like we've already said, but no, he says without complaining and arguing. And why? And I think to really understand everything Paul is talking about here, we need to understand so much of what he's saying in this last paragraph here is actually a clear reference to the Old Testament. And it's actually insane how much he like crams in here. But because like we don't have footnotes about it uh, in our Bible or because we, uh, we don't have like a first century Jewish uh, education or background, we, we tend to miss it. But there's like four things that Paul just kind of sneaks into this passage as, uh, as, as references to the Old Testament. Uh, and we won't get too, too far into the weeds here uh, because we could spend all day just kind of expositing uh, every little thing that he sneaks in here. But when Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing or grumbling so that you become blameless and pure and a crooked and depraved generation, this is all language that's actually specifically used uh, by Paul or in the Old Testament referring to... Israel, and actually specifically referring to their failures along the way. And Israel is supposed, or was supposed to be, what Paul is trying to get the Philippians to be. When, when, when Paul says, like, I want you to become this blameless and pure uh, nation of God, that is what Israel was supposed to be. You know, and he says it as this, like, continuation, like, this was them, now it can be you. This is what the people of God are supposed to be. But what happened to Israel, you know, is that time and time again, they fell away from this calling. Time and time again, you know, they're they're referred to by the prophets as a crooked and depraved and perverse generation. And Paul is saying like, hey, I don't want you guys to fall into this. I want you guys to actually make it. And so he says this, do not grumble and complain. Do not argue amongst yourselves. And it's crazy because that's, that's language that's used in Exodus 16. And uh, don't, don't uh, turn over there. I'll, uh, I'll throw it up on the board here. Uh, and turn there. My handy dandy Bible. But Exodus 16. The Israelites have just been rescued from the clutches of Egypt, from actual slavery. And they're taken into the desert and they've seen wonders and miracles and all sorts of things. And in verse 1, it says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And this is not the first time that they grumble and complain. It's not the last time that they grumble and complain. Right on the heels of being rescued. And it's crazy because they've just been brought out of like literal slavery. 
Like, they didn't have a choice in what they did every day. They were whipped, actually whipped. Uh, you know, and they're journeying to the promised land. They've seen God perform actual miracles. They've seen God destroy uh, the greatest military power of the day, Egypt, uh, in amazing and miraculous fashion. But they forget what they've been saved from, and they forget where they're being led. And all they're focusing on are the trials right in front of them. And they have this all-powerful God who's demonstrated that, they, that he can save them from anything. And more importantly, he wants to save them from everything. But they're grumbling and complaining. And not long after this, they, they just abandon God entirely. And they, they get all their gold together and they, they melt it down. And they're like, actually, this calf over here, this golden calf, this is our God. This is who led us out of Egypt. And this is what Paul is warning against. You know, he's saying, if this is our heart, you know, if, if we forget all of this, we aren't going to last as the children of God, as this pure and blameless nation. Uh, and just like the Israelites, just like the Israelites didn't last, it, it wasn't long before they, they completely just walked away. And they had to be brought back. And it, it would happen again and again in the history of Israel when things were hard they would walk away. I think what Paul is warning about isn't so much like this loud complaining or uh, you know, just arguing with one another. I think a lot of us have gotten quite good at keeping our mouth shut. Uh, a lot of us have gotten quite good at not complaining loudly. Uh, I don't hear like too many hecklers out here or you know, when I'm preaching or when Drew's preaching or Bobby or anyone like that. We don't really have that outward expression of complaining and grumbling and like, oh my gosh, this is the worst and kind of shouting in the congregation because you'd get discipled very quickly about that. Someone would come up to you and say like, hey bro, like, are, are you okay? Like this is, this is kind of weird, but we've got, we've got very good at, at not having those outward complaints. But I think a lot of times the complaint is in our heart and it's silent and it's subtle. And sometimes we don't even know it's there. He's warning against this heart. And I think sometimes... We, we grumble and complain inwardly, you know, about our lot or about how things are in the church or in our lives or even just how, uh, you know, our spiritual walk is going. And he's warning against hearts that forget what God has done for us and how much he loves and care about us. And I think it's, it's easy to gloss over this command uh, to not grumble and complain, even though it's, it's tied to so many things because we think we nailed this or that it's for children or something like that. But no, like this is a real concern for the people of God that people over generations and generations have fallen into. We are not immune. We need to take this seriously. And I I know for myself, how this can kind of manifest is uh, I can fall into thinking like, man, like, is this what discipleship is really about? Because this is just really hard. Or I, I think sometimes it's just when I'm not excited to come out to things. And there's just like this silent complaint in my heart that I don't really process or think, think, but I'm just like, oh man, it's going to kind of be a struggle to come out to this church event. It's going to be a struggle to, to give to people or, oh man, like sharing my faith is going to be hard. And so I'm not, I'm not processing that as a grumbling or a complaint, but it's there yeah. in my heart. And you know, I, I think, oh man, like I'm not excited to have this D time or to confess or to do this because things, things are just hard. Or I go to events now, not really eager to give or just not convinced, or I'm convinced that it's going to be draining, or I get scared to do faithful things because I don't believe God really cares about me. Like the Israelites, they, they probably knew that God could give them food if he wanted to, based on like the other things 
that it happened. Like, if he can just summon, like, millions of frogs to just, like, march onto Egypt. Like, he can probably get some sustenance out here in the desert. But I think they doubted his care. That's where the complaint come from, came from. It's like, man, like, we were taken care of in Egypt. We had food. Out here, we have nothing. And God is not going to provide. And I, I remember, you know, a while ago, there, there was something going on in my life, and I was, I was making a decision. I was just so scared of making a mistake. Uh, and I was just kind of like paralyzed by it. And, and someone asked me like, hey man, like, do you, do you have faith that God is going to care about you? Like, even if you make a mistake or you don't do like the exact right thing. And uh, I just like pondered it for a second. I was just like, no, like, I don't believe that right now. Uh, and that was, that was really convicting. And I was just like, man, like, why, why can't I believe that God really cares about me enough that even if, you know, in, in the foolishness of my thinking, I try to do the right thing and fail that he will still back me up, that he still loves me, that he will still provide in the desert. And I had to really pray and, like, and wrestle through that. But after I did, it, it was so freeing. And I, I still struggle with that so much. I was just like, man, like, I don't actually believe that God is going to take care of me uh, if I do hard things or I make faithful decisions. And I think deep down, I, I had forgotten and still just forget. And I wasn't seeing clearly how much God has done for me. How many times he's proven that he, he cares about me. And I forget just how enslaved I was to my sin. And, and in my heart, I'm like, ah, well, I don't know, God. You know, being enslaved to my fears seems pretty good. Uh, it was pretty good back then, you know, when I, when I didn't have to do scary things. Uh, you know, going back to living like a coward or being selfish or being impure, that, that sounds pretty good. It's this silent grumble and complaint in my heart when I forget what enslavement to my sin really was. And how, how, just how much stress and turmoil I was in before I, uh, I became a disciple. You know, just walking in the dark, having so much guilt, literally just being enslaved to every fear, every anxious thought that I had, uh, being a slave to every temptation, every wayward desire that would come into my heart. But I encourage you guys to ask yourselves, how does your heart grumble and complain? How does your heart, does, does it manifest in a reluctance to share or to go to events or to, to give to people? Or is it a reluctance to surrender your desires to God or your job or your significant other or your love or interest? Is it this, this significance uh, uh, or sorry, this, this, this reluctance to give up sin because you think like, no, I actually need to take care of myself. God is not going to take care of me. No. And you have this complaint in your heart where it's like, no, if I give this up, God's not going to do anything. So I'm going to sit here, I'm going to stew, and I'm going to do what I want to do to take care of myself. Right. You know, and maybe you have actual bitterness in your heart toward people in the church or towards leaders or to, towards your disciples, and it just festers away in quiet grumbling, and you're not forgiving. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you do complain outwardly, you know, about your job or, or your lot in life or your wife or your kids or, or your situation uh, or your grades or anything like that. You know, maybe we just forget how great God has been. Especially we forget when things get hard. Uh, you know, when we have financial troubles or bad grades or when people, people hurt us. And I think it's so easy for me to lose faith uh, and, and to not believe that God is working when I'm investing in someone and they, they walk away from the church. Or I'm investing in somebody and they, they stop studying the Bible. It's just, it just makes me so reluctant. And I just question God God working so much. I'm like, God, what, what are we doing here? If, if I'm just going to invest in for nothing and just going to get my heart ripped out, then what's the point of all of this? 
and I just forget how much God has done in my life. Yeah. And I think it's amazing because there, there's a reason that Paul ends this section with this command. I think there's a reason that this comes at the climax. Uh, because none of these complaints hold up to scrutiny when compared with what God has done. Yes. And, and Paul has just gotten done uh, delivering this amazing hymn about how, um, how amazing Jesus is. How humble he is. And we're going to go ahead and read this again. All this only makes sense when we truly understand uh, who Jesus is. And uh, Philippians 2 verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant... Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's, let's just stop and think about how crazy that is, that we have a God who became obedient to death. The American dream is to become obedient to nothing right. and no man. The American dream is to have your castle and have your house and pay off your mortgage and, have, and be the boss at work so that nobody can tell you what to do. Yeah. We have a God who humbled himself to become obedient to death. Every, no, one, no one in the world, no leader, no king is obedient to anybody. At the time, you know, this is a Roman colony. Everyone in that Roman colony had been rescued by Caesar, could trace their, uh, and we've talked about this for weeks now, you know, could, could trace even just their life to the kindness of Caesar. But Caesar obeyed no man. Caesar did not humble himself for no man. Jesus humbled himself and obeyed death for us to free us from enslavement. And that's absolutely insane. And I think we just forget how much we've been freed from by a, a God who bonded himself to death. And in verse 9 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there's a reason Paul says that here, because here, after this section, we have no reason to doubt God, no reason to doubt his care, no reason to hold on to bitterness, no reason to look back to our old way of life and doubt that God has been working through everything in our lives. You know, he's, again, he's freed us from enslavement. He's made himself nothing for us you know, to free us and to give us new life. And in light of that, it's like, oh my gosh, like, no way am I going to do anything uh, with, with bitterness in my heart. Coming out to things is not a burden. This is, this is freedom. Living for Christ is freedom. Without burden, without complaint, you know. And it, it, in light of that, it's like, man, like, if I have complaints and grumbling in my heart, let me get out in the open about that. Let me talk to somebody about that. If I have complaints against somebody in the church, let me talk to them about that. Let me forgive them in my heart. And after that, everything changes. You know, and I think when we do that, we really do become the blameless and pure nation of God. You know, a holy colony, not a Roman colony, a holy colony that stands apart from the rest of the, wor the world. Because what's the point of all this? You know, Paul says, uh, do everything without complaining, arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a amongst a crooked and depraved generation 
in which you shine like stars in the universe, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. The point of this is that living free of any bitterness, any malcontent, and just just having that freedom of Christ ruling in our hearts is supposed to stand out. That just as Christ stood out, just as Paul stood out, living this way will look different. Everyone else in the world goes through life doing things just grudgingly, goes through life just complaining about their marriage, about their job, about having to do things that they don't want to. Everyone else lives life that way. Living life this way with the freedom of Christ, going after things with reckless abandon will look different. Uh, you know, people go about their lives just complaining to each other about the boss, about, uh, about their job, about how much they're, they're paid, about their grades or whatever. But if we go throughout our day, uh, throughout our week, just so happy for what Christ has done for us and in such awe of God for the blessings he's given and how he's freed us from so much, we're going to stand out like stars in the universe. And that metaphor is so powerful. Few things, in my opinion, are so beautiful as stars in the night sky. If you can just go out into the mountains or something at night and just on a clear night, just watching the stars, it's absolutely incredible. And the metaphor here is so rich because stars shine out strongest in the darkness. And we live in a, in a, in a crooked and wicked world. And, and stars for centuries at night were the only thing that people had to navigate by. People lost out at sea would just wait for a clear night. Why? So they could see the North Star. So they, in, in, in their boat with, no, with nothing else around them to give them indication of where they were, could look into the night sky, see the stars and their brilliance, and be guided back home. Be guided back to truth. Shining like stars as we hold out the word of life. That's who we get to be in light of this. We get to be the stars that guide people back to Christ. And the crazy thing is, is that Paul ends here and he talks about suffering and joy. He says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's saying here, like, even if I am suffering in prison for your faith, it is worth it. Talk about someone who had things to complain about. And just saw the freedom that he had in Christ. Saw how amazing it was to shine like Christ as stars in the darkness in the universe. He says, I rejoice in this because of this freedom, because of this way of living, because of the humility and love of Jesus. It is worth it to suffer. A few things are as beautiful as stars shining in the night. And Paul saw that. Paul stood out and it cost him. And church, amen. Doing this will cost us, just as it cost Jesus, just as it cost Paul. But the heart of Jesus was to say, you know what? Standing out is going to have people come after me. But guess what? I am going to do it because it is worth it to see people come to the faith, to suffer for the gospel, to suffer uh, for people to make it. Paul wasted away in prison, but he knew life, his life was going to shine forever in the kingdom. You know, he, he knew that by shining brightly, people would be led to Christ. By having a heart that, that rejoiced in all circumstances, Paul converted his jailers in certain circumstances. We can definitely convert our classmates. You know, we can definitely convert the people that we're at work with if we just stand out and share our faith with them, suffer to bring them to Christ. 
You know, in church, instead of shying away from suffering, you know, putting ourselves from shying away from putting ourselves out there and investing in the lost, instead of shying away from standing out and being labeled that Jesus guy, you know, let's rejoice in that label. Let's rejoice in being able to live uh, lives that will shine out in the darkness, lives that will, that will echo in eternity. People will be saved because of it. It will not be wasted. Let's rejoice in any suffering that that brings, you know, and let's refocus ourselves back on Jesus and remember how he has set us free, how much we've been set free from, so we can go after this with a reckless abandon, without grumbling in our hearts. Let's remember how much God has done for us, how much he cares for us, do everything uh, free of bitterness and grumbling and complaining so we can shine out like stars among the darkness. So thanks so much, guys. Amen. Amen. Good stuff, Stephen. If we could all stand.